let's get into it. Why don't you grab your Bible, turn with me to Daniel chapter three as we continue our Through the Bible study. Don't forget, this Friday night is the, the first Friday of the month, so we're gonna do our prophecy update. Uh, you know, I guess it's the September edition. Uh, so that'll be uh, uh, Friday night, seven o'clock. We'll be here live. You can be here with us or you can join us online. But uh, you know what we do, the Bible says over and over and over again, watch, be ready. Don't just be uh, looking at the end times and say, ah, oh, the Lord delays is coming. There's a servant that says that, ah, uh, oh, the Lord delays is coming. Does anybody remember what Jesus called that servant? Anybody? Wicked. The wicked servant, Jesus said, says, ah, oh, the Lord delays is coming. But it's the faithful servant that Jesus talks about. Matthew 24, that is watching and ready, um, serving the, the master before he comes. And that's what we're all supposed to be doing. So, uh, you know, the prophecy update, some people say, why do you guys do that? Well, we go through the Bible on Wednesdays and Sundays, but on once, once a month, it's fun just to say, Lord, what's going on in the world? And how does that shape up with what you say about the last days? And man, I'm convinced that we're living in those last days. Uh, and a lot of people, I think even non-believers, secularists are kind of like, yeah, it could be the end times, I don't know. Like, it's, it's amazing. These are interesting days to be alive and it's an interesting day to be a Christian. So we'll be talking about some of those things, lots to talk about Afghanistan and China and some other things that are going on as it relates to the Bible. So we'll do that Friday night. Daniel chapter three, I, I, I uh, kind of came down with a cold last week. Uh, nope, it's not the corona. Um, and uh, I already had that, uh, that was a while back, but, um, but uh, I, I couldn't even really talk on Wednesday, uh, but now I'm doing good, and, and, but we missed Wednesday. James, Pastor James did an amazing job with kind of an additional Daniel chapter two supplement, and if you missed that, uh, I'd recommend you uh, go on our website and uh, catch up with James's Daniel two edition, which was great. Uh, but that leaves Daniel three this coming Wednesday night. We're gonna um, sort of dive in deep on Daniel chapter three. Last time I was with you guys, we, um, last week, we talked about a, a single question that King Nebuchadnezzar raised, and it was this, is it true? Uh, it, you know, and Nebuchadnezzar was aghast. He was like, is it true that you're not gonna bow down and worship the image that I've set up? And we looked at how the world looks at you, the, the Babylon of today, and says, is it true, Christian, that you're not gonna worship the images that we have set up and, and you know, have the worldview and the ideology of the world today. And people are stunned that we, it's true. We're gonna follow the Bible. And we talked about how the days we're living in are getting to a place where we're gonna have to decide what the answer to that question is. Is it true? And I hope it is true. I hope you say, we're gonna be like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and we're not gonna bow down to the Babylonian you know, gods and paganism and deity. I hope we follow the Lord and the Lord alone. That's kind of our, our study last time. But I'd like to take a look at another little tiny phrase. Uh, it's just a couple words really. Uh, and, and it has to do with the answer that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego gave to King Nebuchadnezzar when you know, Nebi, you know, he raised that question, are you kidding me? You're not gonna worship the image that I've set up? And he said, when the music plays, you know, bow down and worship the image or else I'm gonna throw you in the fiery furnace or you'll be burned up. But I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and I love their response. Um, and that's kind of what we're gonna look at there. The three verses here, but there's just two words that I, I really wanna zoom in on. Let's take a look. It's right here in Daniel chapter three, verse 16. It says in Daniel three sixteen, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered and said to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we are not careful to answer thee in this matter. 
If it be so, our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of thine hand, O king. But if not, be it known unto thee, O king, that we will not serve thy gods, nor worship the golden image which thou hast set up. Wow. I love the boldness of these guys. Um, now, the King James puts it, you know, we're not gonna be careful to answer this matter. What does that mean? That's King James language. If you look at the New American Standard uh, version of this, um, it, it says, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego replied to the king, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to give you an answer concerning this matter. Like, that's pretty bold, wouldn't you say? Well, they're just, they said, but remember, who, who's Nebuchadnezzar? He's the king, maybe one of the greatest kings that ever lived as far as power, authority, he was an absolute monarch, which means he could say, off with your head, and they would have to go and chop their heads off. Like, he was that kind of a king. And he was good for that. We've looked at that for several weeks, poking people's eyes out and frying them on grills. And, you know, uh, now he's, you know, last week we saw him wanting to chop people up into pieces and make their houses piles of manure. Um, and now he's saying, I'm going to throw you in the fire furnace. And these guys say, we don't even need to answer you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, with an egomaniac narcissist like Nebi, do you think that was a, uh, made him a little mad? I mean, the, the Bible already says uh, in verse 13, Nebuchadnezzar, in his rage and fury, commanded to bring Shadrach. He was already ticked off. Don't you think this just made him crazy, insane, angry at this point? I, I bet you he was purple by this time. Veins bulging, eyeballs popping. What? Are you kidding me? These guys say, we don't even need to answer you, king. Man, you know, he's like, oh, I'm gonna heat the furnace seven times hotter, which is dumb because, um, you know, if you want them to hurt, you just make, put it on simmer. Um, but they're like, seven times hotter. Well, anyway, I, I love that. But it, it also, in the New American Standard version, up on the, on the screen here, we got, we got basically saying, you know, we do not need to give you an answer. But he also goes on, verse 17, if it be so, you know, uh, you know if you throw us in the fiery furnace, um, our God, whom is, uh, we serve, is able to deliver us from the furnace, from the blazing fire, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. Now, let's break that down for a second. Um, Nebuchadnezzar said, you know, uh, earlier in verse 15, he said, who is that God that shall deliver you out of my hands? This is the narcissist egomaniac thinking that he's all-powerful. And he says, who is your God that can deliver you out of my hand? Well, as it turns out, Nebby's hand was puny and pipsqueak. And he's about to learn that lesson. In fact, let's sneak preak, just, to just uh, turn the page to chapter, um, chapter four, maybe two pages, and listen to what Nebuchadnezzar says. Uh, the Lord humbles him, and he ends up uh, b turning into like an animal. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar starts growing feathers and claws, and he's out chewing cud with the cows in the field for seven years. Can you imagine walking through Babylon like, who's that guy? Is, is that an animal or a person? Oh, that's our king, Nebuchadnezzar. Uh, there he is out there, you know, just chewing the cud. But suddenly the Lord gives his mind back to him and, um, and, and finally Nebuchadnezzar, just check out verse 35. Um, Nebuchadnezzar says, and all the inhabitants, this is 435, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. And he, that is God, doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or can say to him, what doest thou? Nebuchadnezzar gets to a place where, you know, at first he was saying, who is your God that can deliver you out of my hand? And I was like, man, there's no, all the inhabitants of the earth, me too, nothing. 
Who can stay his hand? Nebuchadnezzar's gonna have to learn this and he's gonna learn it the hard way, but he is gonna learn it. And I believe we're gonna see Nebuchadnezzar in heaven someday. That's amazing when you think about it. Um, I have a few questions to ask Nebi, you know, when I get there. But all that to say, he, he has to learn this the hard way. How are you gonna learn that nobody can move God's hand? Are you gonna learn it the easy way or the hard way? You can learn here in the sanctuary or you can learn out in the storm. Nebuchadnezzar had to, you know, chew cud with cows for seven years. Hopefully you don't have to do that. But be that as it may, uh, as we go on here in the, in the New American Standard version of this, um, you know, who, it says, you know, the Lord will deliver us out of your hand, O king. And then verse 18, but even if, even if, and that's the phrase, that's the two words I wanna really focus on here. Even if he does not, let it be known to you, O king, that we are not going to serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. King Nebuchadnezzar thought he was giving the great ultimatum to these guys, you know, bow down and worship or burn in the fire. But what Nebuchadnezzar was actually doing was giving them the ultimate opportunity to express a kind of faith that is over the top and amazing. I'm gonna say this is one of the highest levels of faith a person can express. What do you mean, Brett, levels of faith and you know, stuff like that? Well, as it turns out, the Bible talks about all kinds of faith different kinds of faith. Let me go over some of my favorites, just maybe five of them real quick. And you can maybe jot a few of these down. And then as you're a Bible reader, look for others because there's a lot more that I'm just getting. I'm just gonna give you some of my favorites, the different types of faith. Um, the first one that I'll bring up is um, called the measure of faith. Um, and that's Romans chapter 12, verse three, where the Lord says, you know, to think soberly as the Lord has given every man a measure of faith, it says there in Romans 12, three. What's the measure of faith? It's just a little measure of faith God gives to every person, um, to all men, to all women. It's a faith that's not grown, but it's sufficient for belief in God and for salvation. That's why in Romans, the Lord says that no one will have an excuse because the Lord gives to every man a measure of faith. And then the question is, what are they gonna do with that faith? Um, that's an important one. And that's sort of faith 101, the beginning level, um, just enough. Uh, even creation speaks of the Lord's glory, the Bible says, and that's why people won't have an excuse. Oh, you didn't give me any faith, Lord. The Lord says, I gave you a measure of faith, all that you would need. How much faith do you need, by the way, to move a mountain, according to the Bible? The size of a grain of mustard seed, which is a tiny little seed. Um, the Lord gives you at least that measure of faith according to the Bible. Well, that's the first one, the measure of faith. The second one is growing faith. Uh, we read about that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 3, where the Lord says there, behold, we are bound uh, to, to thank God always for you, brothers, as it is meet, because you, your faith grows exceedingly. And the charity of every one of all of you toward other uh, each abounds. Um, the, the thing is, uh, Paul was thanking the Lord for this group of Thessalonians there at the church and saying, I'm so thankful to watch your growing faith, the faith that is growing exceedingly. And that's what happens. The Lord starts with a measure of faith and then your faith grows. Question, quiz, how do you get your faith to grow? Anybody? The word of God, that's right. The this reading of scripture, faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God, Romans declares. So you've got this growing faith, but then you, you, there's this other faith talked about. Jesus actually identified this one in Matthew 8, verses 8 through 10. And it's that story of uh, great faith. Uh, and he even finds a couple people in the, in, the, in the New Testament gospel narrative. There's several stories where Jesus identifies that right there. That's great faith. 
Um, let me give you one example, the centurion there in, in Matthew chapter eight. Um, you know, he, he, um, he goes and says, Jesus, will you come? My child is sick, can you heal her? And, uh, and Jesus kind of talked about, you know, it, it's funny, it's almost like Jesus gave an opportunity at, at that point to say, well, do you really believe like, you know, maybe I will come to your house and, uh, you know, maybe I will, you know, heal your, your child. But this centurion says, listen, he says, I, I order men and I tell them to do this and do that and they do this and that. Um, I have that kind of power, you know. But the centurion there in Matthew 8, verses 18, he says, even as I tell people to come and go, all you need to do is say the word and my child will be healed. And Jesus is like, you're right. Uh, and, and then Jesus said this, and, and this is the last part of Matthew 8, verses 8 through 10. In verse 10, Jesus said, verily I say unto you, I have not found so great of Israel, no, so great of faith, no, not even in all of Israel. Like the level of faith of this, this Gentile centurion Roman guy who says, you don't even need to go to my house. You could just speak the word. Like that's, that's great faith. Um, and my daughter would be healed. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Uh, it's pretty cool, it's great faith. And there's a couple other examples of that. But the, the fourth kind of faith we could talk about is unwavering faith. The Bible talks about that in Hebrews 10, uh, verses 22 and 23. But you know, it says that we are uh, to draw near to the Lord with a true heart in full assurance of faith. That is to be unwavering, unbendable, sincere faith without questioning God at all, uh, unwavering. And then it goes on, let us hold fast to the profession of our faith without wavering, it says there in Hebrews 10, 23. Unwavering faith. And man, I'll tell you, we live in a day where I see Christians, their faith is wavering and it's because things are bad. And they, it's a little bit like Peter, instead of looking at Jesus, they start looking at the waves and we start to sink. But we need that unwavering faith uh, these days. It's a good time to have an unwavering faith as things are coming at us in every direction in these days. But there's a, a fifth one. This is my final one. The Bible has a lot more, I'm telling you. But I love this one, genuine faith. Is there anything uh, such as fake faith? Um, you betcha. There's a lot of fake faith out there. For example, Harvard uh, used to be, well, 400 years ago, it's an old institution. It's way older than even this country. But the, you know, the Puritans were people that wanted to start Harvard and have it be a godly institution, and it was for a while. But as all the universities and stuff tend to go, they start Christian, and then they become totally opposite of that. Well, Harvard, they just hired a new chaplain uh, this last week. Maybe you saw it in the news. He's an, he's an atheist. Uh, the chaplain for Harvard University is now an atheist. That's what I would call fake faith. Uh, well, you know, honestly, an atheist has to have more faith than we do. Do you know that? I'll tell you why an atheist has to have profound levels of faith. They have to believe that their brain is big enough and important enough to decide everything. Like they're, they're not worshiping a God. They're, there's nothing bigger than them that they can believe except for what's in their brain. Uh, man, that takes huge faith. I don't trust my brain. Uh, I don't have enough faith. Uh, but I do have faith in a true and powerful and living God. Um, uh, which one takes more faith? Honestly, it's almost a delirious level of faith to believe that your brain is that good. Be that as it may, uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, I love Paul. He says, when I call to remembrance the unfeigned faith that was first found in your grandmother, you know, Lois, and your mother, Eunice, and I am persuaded that it's also in you, Timothy, that's what Paul said, um, Paul was commending grandma, mom, and son, saying, all of you, Timothy, you got your unfeigned faith. That means unfake, 
real, genuine. It's a type of faith that you know, permits no deception, no pretense uh, or charlatans. Uh, it's a kind of faith that is genuine and sincere that flows from a true heart, a person who believes God with the desire to do what's right, unfeigned, unfake faith. Man, oh Lord, help us to be a church of unfeigned faith. I love that. So there's all kinds of different types of faith, and there's even bad ones, you know, like the, uh, the fake faith or others. But you can, as you study the Bible, look for those different kinds of faith. But maybe one of the highest forms of faith could just be what our text is suggesting right now. And I'm calling it this even if, even if faith. What is even if faith? It's the same faith that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego had when they said, you know, we believe our God can save us from the fire furnace and deliver us from your hand. But if not, even if not, as the New American Standard, uh, even if he doesn't deliver us from the fiery furnace, we're still not gonna bow down and worship your uh, image that you had set up. Years ago, I was leading a Bible study uh, and um, this one old fellow after the study, I was teaching Daniel chapter three. This one guy came up and said, well, Brett, I disagree with you. And I said, well, that's, that's probably good. Uh, what do you disagree with me on? And, uh, and he said, well, I believe that actually Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, they had a tiny bit of faith and that's what saved them. But I think they had a wavering faith. And I said, well, what do you mean? And he said, well, they, they said our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, which showed that there was a chink in their armor, that was their faith that was wavering. And he sort of got on this whole bandwagon that they would have been better to just say, we're just gonna believe God that he's gonna deliver us. And we're not even gonna whisper if he doesn't. Um, and, and I recognize this notion, there's a group of people out there that kind of have this notion that if you have enough faith, you'll get what you want every time. Name it and claim it, blab it and grab it. Uh, the prosperity teaching that maybe you saw in the 80s and the 90s and the poofy hair, fancy suit, uh, mascara draining. Uh, is that what it is? The black stuff around your eyes that went down and, you know, there, uh, you know, it was, it was like uh, this whole thing of just name and claim it. And there's people out there that say, you know, if, you're, if you need healing, you better have enough faith. If you don't have enough faith, you won't get healed. But if you do have enough faith, you will. And there's this false dilemma that we create and that's what this guy was saying. These guys should have just had unwavering faith, but I think they had wavering faith. And that's why they said, even if he doesn't deliver us. I said, well, I'm gonna have to respectfully disagree with you. And I said, here's why. It's because Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in Hebrews chapter 11, they make the hall of faith. That's almost like saying Joe Montana doesn't really know how to throw the football. Uh, for you, they're old enough to remember Joe Montana. Um, you know, it's, it's like, you know, he made the Hall of Fame because he was one of the greatest quarterbacks, you know, and stuff like that. But to say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were wavering in faith, that's ridiculous. Like, that's embarrassingly painful because they make it. And do you remember last week when we were talking about this? I showed you Hebrews 11. Let's go back to that. I'll, I'll remind you of what we talked about last week. Um, from Hebrews chapter 11, verses 20, uh, or 32 through 39. Let's kind of take another look at that. It says there, and what shall I say more? For the time will fail me of Gid, to tell of Gideon and Barak, of Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and of the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. Who is that? Daniel. Quenched the violence of fire. Who did that? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens, Women received their dead, raised to life again, 
and others who were tortured, not accepting deliverance that they might obtain a better resurrection. And we looked at these, these two main notions last time. We saw that, the, the, you know, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego quench the fire, violence of fire through faith. And we found out why persecuted, martyred believers, what's in it for them? Choosing not to get delivered from their fiery furnace, they said, we'll go to the fire furnace. We're willing to die if we have to, because as we saw that they might obtain a better resurrection. And we talked about how those that are martyred or tortured or hurt because of their faith are gonna have a whole nother level in heaven. We talked about that last, last time according to the scriptures. Now, if we were to read on uh, from this section and go into verse 36 of that same section, it goes on and says, and others, others. Um, that's an important thing, and I want you to mark that word or think about it, the word others. Others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover of bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned. Now, for you from Portland, that means with rocks, just a heads up, some of you. <laughs> Maybe been here in Oregon just a little too long. Stoned with rocks. They were sawn asunder. They were tempted and slain with a sword, wandering about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. This is what the Bible says about these people, the others. The world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth, and all these, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. Now, this is an interesting thing. Who are these others, the others? Well, Brett, they're, I watched the Lost series. They're the people on the other side of the island, um, the others. Nope, not them. Uh, this is a biblical group uh, uh, that, that is interesting because you might say other people. Uh, that's what the English implies. Well, there's some other people. But actually, the word others is a word in the Greek that you might recognize. The word is heteros, heteros. And you say, big deal, uh, so what? Well, you know, we, we, we know the word heteros means uh, something of a different kind. So like probably most famous heterosexual is a word we use because it talks about a person who's you know, a, a married to a different you know, gender. Um, and homosexual is a person who's married to the same gender. So, so the idea is not just others in general, the idea is um, others of a different kind. These are a different kind of people, a whole different level of people. There's others of a different kind than the rest of the world of whom the world was not worthy. That's what the Bible's doing here. It's pulling these people who've been persecuted and were willing to suffer for their faith. It's pulling them out and saying, these, these people of a whole different level is the idea there, kind of interesting. You know, man's estimate of these people where they were a bunch of losers walking around in camel skins, hiding in caves and trying to survive arrested them, tortured them, in some cases killed them. But God's estimate of these people, I mean, it's amazing that the Bible would call, call these people um, a group of people that the world wasn't even worthy to have them in it. That's pretty powerful to me. Now, before we dial in on what this even if faith means, because it's an important one, and I hope we all grab this because I think we have wrongly promoted not even if faith, but we've, um, we've, we've, we've sort of nurtured this I'll, I'll follow if faith, huh? I'm confused. What is I'll follow if faith? Um, well, it's the kind of faith that says, well, you know, if the Lord follows up and helps me, as long as I pray and then God blesses me, then I'll follow him. And as long as God has good things for me, then, I know, then I'll know he's a good God. If, if good things happen, I'll know he's good. 
Um, as long as he delivers me from persecution, as long as there's blessings and lots of them, uh, then I'll follow God. That's kind of this all follow if faith. And um, this all follow if kind of faith is what prosperity teaching promoted, where you know God's gonna bless me and if he doesn't bless me, he must not exist. Are you wondering why um, there's this mass apostasia, which is a Greek word for means, means a falling away from the church, um, Christian pastors and people are trying to study and figure out why are young millennials and Gen Zers leaving the church by the droves? That's what they're saying. We're not seeing that here at Athey Creek, thank the Lord, but we are seeing that globally around the church. Why, why are people leaving? Um, part of it is because we haven't really presented a true gospel. We've presented this Americanized gospel um, that man, if you become a Christian, man, you're gonna be hip and you're gonna, have, you're gonna be an influencer, you're gonna have an Instagram account with 100,000 followers and, um, and things will be great for you and you'll be popular and liked and married and blah, blah, blah. And, and here's what, they, they promise these big things that if you become a Christian, if you become radical in your faith, then you'll get this, this, and this. But you know, and it's, it's not just the prosperity, it's all kinds of so-called Bible teachers that say stuff like, you're gonna live victoriously and everything's gonna be great. And you're gonna have that job and they're gonna awaken the giant within you and you're gonna find all this and that and you can wear a mullet and love it. Uh, whatever your thing is, whatever your thing is, you can really convince people. And it sounds so great. I like pep talks. I like motivational speeches, people say. But what do you tell somebody who starts his ministry and chooses people to kind of hang out with that everybody kind of hates and thinks they're stupid? What happens when your posse is a bunch of stupid guys? What happens when people falsely accuse you of things you never really did? What happens when people think that you're hanging out with a bunch of sinners even though you're trying to help the sinner or you are helping the sinner, but they think you're one of the sinners? What happens when they falsely accuse you so much that they beat you up and end up executing you? Is that living victoriously with your mullet? Um, well, that's what Jesus did. Jesus did all of those things. In a secular kind of way, Jesus, you could argue, was one of the saddest, most horrible existences that ever lived on this earth. And the Bible even tells us that, that Jesus was tempted in all points, just like you have been. In all the hurts and all the suffering, Jesus knows it all. And yet, you know, Jesus would have failed a lot of these sermons that are being preached. You know, you're gonna be blessed and everything's gonna be awesome and you're gonna live rosy and beautiful and everything's gonna be perfect, but we're missing the whole point. That's not what the gospel is. The prosperity gospel or the, even the social gospel is a huge distraction to God's church and his people. And it's no wonder that there's young people saying, forget it, forget Christianity if it means you're gonna be popular and healthy and wealthy and wise and your you know, bowel movements will be regular. Like, 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 Brett, why are you saying that? If you listen to Christian radio, it's pathetic how much they talk about stuff that just has nothing to do with the gospel. It's amazing to me. We got this airtime and you can use it for talking about your bowel movements or you can go and talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, the true one, the real one. You see, the problem is this all follow if kind of faith. The reason people are bailing today is because we've presented that faith is to just get what you want in this life and hopefully things will be wonderful for you. But the Bible doesn't promise that. In fact, as we talked about last week, the Bible promises suffering and even persecution. For those who live godly, they will suffer, the Bible says. So you're like, well, then why should I become a Christian? Now we're getting to the right, answer, the right question. The answer is simply this, because of hell. 
hell. Don't forget this. And, and it's no wonder people are bailing because you know, the church and pastors are forgetting to talk about hell and some are saying hell doesn't even exist anymore. Or even this doctrine that teaches that hell exists, but if you go to hell, you just kind of cease to exist. You, you, you go to annihilation. You know the problem with that teaching? It's biblically wrong, but it, the second part of it is, I'm, I'm not afraid of that. I'm not afraid of it just ceasing to exist. Count me in. Uh, that's not a scary thing to me. Well, Brett, is the point supposed to be scary? Absolutely. Jesus talked more about hell than he talked about heaven because it's real and it's a place of eternal torment. So when we talk about the gospel, it's not that you can you know, be happy and wealthy and sell Amway and do this stuff. And you know, that's not what the Bible's talking about. The Bible is talking about this. You and I are headed for hell and destruction. Everyone is. We've all sinned. We've all fallen short. The glory of God, we, we were, so, we're so far off. But good news, the gospel, Christ died for ungodly people like us. And Jesus went to the cross and suffered for us so that we would not have to go to hell. So you could have the worst life in this world and, and as long as you're a person of faith, and hopefully you don't have the all follow if faith, because what, what do you do if you're Corey Ten Boom and you're in, a, um, you're in a concentration camp with your sister having just died and your whole family dying and you're there with lice and skeletal and you're just gonna, you're sitting in a, wh wh why do you follow Christ at that point? Why not just bail? Say, well, if this is what being a Christian gets me, I'm out of there. That's what's happening. Only it's not concentration camps, it's the Gen Xers and the Gen Zers and the millennials. We're all upset because, well, the Taco Bell line just took a few more minutes than we thought it was gonna take and what a bummer. Or that girl dumped me or, or you know, I didn't get the college that I wanted or my, my, I'm only driving a, you know, a Mercedes. I was kind of hoping to drive something else. And, and we get all upset about stuff. And, and we think, well, if this is what Christianity is, that's what all follow, faith, all follow if faith is, is we have these conditions that, well, God's gonna bless me in this life, and it's not about that. Um, it's the old example we've used, but it's a good one, where you're in the airplane, you know, the 747 flying through the sky across the Pacific, and the flight attendant comes and says, um, ladies and gentlemen, we'd like to pass out the peanuts and the you know, beverages are coming, and also we'll give you a parachute if you like. You'd say parachute, I'll take the peanut and uh, the 7-Up or whatever, but I don't, I don't need a parachute, that's ridiculous. Just give me, you say, okay, Brett, what if she said this? Uh, ladies and gentlemen, we're flying in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. We've got about six minutes of gas fuel left for the plane. It's going down. How many would like some peanuts and some 7-Up? Oh, and a parachute. Well, the parachute at this point, count me in. I'll take the parachute because the plane's going down. See, we present the gospel like this. Oh, hey, if you wanna become a Christian and man, your life will be great and you can have Christian friends and you can go to AC Creek like that's a reward. <laughs> go listen to a long windbag pastor and talk to sit in a church forever. That's the fun part. No, that's not, the, that's not why you become a Christian. You become a Christian and you come to AC Creek because we know that we're sinners headed for hell and apart from the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's the parachute, um, we're toast. And you, you're only saved if you take the parachute and that's the gospel. So, so when you realize the, the, the legitimacy of the gospel and that it saves you from the fire of hell and it not only is that, but it gives you the eternal hope of heaven when you become a Christian, man, you realize that's what the gospel is about. And that's why you could have the worst life in this world like Paul the apostle or Jesus or all the other people in the Bible, unlike the prosperity teachers on TV and Sirius Satellite Network. Um, you can have the worst life in this life, but if you know that by faith you're saved by, through grace, uh, 
and you're going to heaven, then you don't have this all follow if kind of faith. That's why the millennials are bailing. That's why the Gen Zers are bailing out of faith as they don't understand. It's not about having comfort and popularity in this life. It's about heaven and hell and salvation through their only name that can be saved. You know what's interesting, by the way, is the persecuted church, they're the ones that tend to be most faithful. You don't see apostasia or a falling away from Christians that are suffering. You see apostasia and falling away from, you know, West Lynn high school kids who are depressed because their garage band hasn't, uh, you know, gone platinum yet. And they're pouting because their Marshall amp is not uh, newer or, you know, whatever the thing is. Like we get all upset about things um, that don't matter. You wanna know where the, just this last week, do you wanna know where the church has grown exponentially? Afghanistan. Did you hear this? Like in the last, yeah, is this something? In the last 20 years, this is an amazing thing. I hope you see this. In the last 20 years, and, and I'm not arguing for kind of a crusader, like military making Christians and stuff, but because our military was there in Afghanistan, because that, the Taliban was, you know, pushed off into the caves and dens of the mountains of, of Afghanistan and they were all out of the picture. And so Christianity started to flourish in Afghanistan and churches started forming and little groups and small churches were happening. And it was such a cool thing. Um, and for you servicemen and servicewomen that have been over there and served in Afghanistan, you know, I hope you understand, you know, nationally, I can see why you'd be like, what was that all about? Why did my friends die? Why is somebody's leg amputated? Just because we were there for 20 years to do nothing. Well, from a Christian perspective, can I just say, because the military presence was there for the past 20 years, there's been this massive revival. Now here's what even is more crazy. This past week, you'd think, well, now that the Taliban's back in control and has $80 billion worth of our Blackhawks. Did you know the Taliban has more Blackhawk uh, helicopters than Australia has now because of our exit? I'm getting ahead of myself. That's prophecy update stuff. Um, <laughs> but, but what happened, did you know that like churches that had 100 people two weeks ago now have 2,400 people? Like this is happening this week. This week in Afghanistan, there's revival. The people, this is, I'm, I'm not just hearing this on news because you can't really trust the news. I'm hearing this from people that are actually there on the ground, uh, whether it's military personnel and or missionaries that are still there uh, in great danger, by the way. Um, the Lord is doing a radical work. This is where I'll follow if faith just goes out the window. That's just ridiculous. But when your life is on the line and you've got nothing and you're in a nation that wants to behead you because you're not a Muslim, um, all you have left is that hope of heaven and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And it's amazing how the, the all follow if faith people, um, well, they, they don't last because they have the wrong perspective. So we're watching these, this scene in Afghanistan. Maybe you've seen the images you know, here and it's really, kind of, it's really kind of a sad thing because you know, it's gonna be hard to forget some of these Afghans, the imagery of them mobbing these C-17 planes, hanging onto their wheels as they're taking off and falling from a thousand feet and stuff. Like it's uh, in their desperation to leave this country, they're packing out these planes. And, um, and uh, you, know, it, it's, you say, Brett, that's horrible. But what's amazing is, is these people that are in such peril over there, the Lord is doing a radical work. Be praying for our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan. And, and then it should wake us up as a, as a Christian church not to have this goofy, I'll follow the Lord if I'm prosperous, or if everything works out, or if I get the girlfriend or the boyfriend, or if, if I get the job that I want, then I'll follow the Lord. Um, you see, 
Even if faith says, even if I die, even if I'm thrown in the fire furnace, even if I'm beheaded in Afghanistan, I'm still gonna follow the Lord because it's not about this life. It's about the next. And how you live this life is gonna greatly affect the next. That's what we learned last week. So the question then is if you have this kind of uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if kind of faith, how does that practically work out? Well, even if faith changes your perspective and your behavior in a lot of ways, and I'd like to number a few of them, um, how does even if faith work out practically? Number one on the list of things that we'll talk about here, even if faith responds, not reacts. It responds, not reacts. What does that mean? Even if faith, you know, if you have a, a, a faith like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it keeps you uh, with the right perspective and you're able to engage people meaningfully rather than just mindlessly. What do you mean, Brett? Well, I love the measured thinking of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the story. They're, they're, you know, they're about to be thrown in a fire furnace and they're not screaming, don't, don't kill us, or blah, 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 trying, being dragged around and screaming and shrieking. These guys are measured and, and very calculated saying, we don't even need to answer you in this, O king. I love the response that they give. It's not a reaction. Too many Christians today are reacting to everything that's going on around them and it's usually a bad reaction. Um, I'm, I'm becoming more and more weary of seeing people rant uh, on social media or people upset and yelling in all caps and people just saying this and saying that and we're just reacting, reacting. When the Lord would have us as even if faithers to believe that even if we die and even if they're gonna you know, make us do this or take away our freedoms and even if all this bad stuff happens to us, we're still gonna respond and we're not gonna react. Um, there's a measured response. Um, the, the, you know, the other kind of faith uh, where you, it better be health and blessing and all that, that's, that, that just becomes a reactionary thing. I'll never forget me and one of the AC pastors, we went up into the hospital one, it was an oncology center um, there, Providence, and we were visiting this lady who the doctor said that she had like 24 hours to live, and, and um, it was a sad thing, because she was a fairly young woman, and, and um, we brought in a little thing of communion, and we went up and sang a song and prayed and stuff, but when I, when I first walked in the room, I was kind of thinking, oh boy, this is gonna be tough, because she was sort of sobbing there, and I wasn't sure. I thought, well, you know, they told her she had 24 hours. Maybe that's why she's sobbing, but she actually had a card that she was reading, and it was from her greater family. And the card basically said this, you are dying because you don't have enough faith. If you have enough faith, God will deliver you from your cancer. And as a Bible teacher, this made me furious, and in my mind, I was like, mm, that's an interesting card. I was thinking, where is that stupid family? Like, uh, let me add them, that's ridiculous. Um, by the way, if, uh, be careful, these people that go around, and there's entire denominations and churches, big movements that you know of today, that are basically saying, if, if you're not healed, it's because you lack faith. Um, and they're, they're going around saying this, and people are buying into this stuff all the time. There's a bunch of problems with that. It's not even if faith. It's the kind of faith that says, well, God better do, he's like, God's your little genie. <laughs> Give me three wishes, okay, I wanna be healed from cancer, and if you don't do this, what? Well, Brett, that's just not real faith. No, now here's the thing. Um, this is what happened. I, I was thinking, my mind was racing as she was sobbing and she kind of closed the card and told me what it said. And I was thinking, okay, what are some scriptures? And, and I was ready to go with my arsenal. Paul the apostle had an infirmity of the flesh. 
And he prayed three times and the Lord said to Paul, stop praying for that. You're gonna have that infirmity of the flesh. This is Paul, the flippant apostle. This is Paul, the guy that they touched his sweatpants and got healed. This is Paul who you know, just walked around healing people all the time. And he couldn't be healed. The Lord said, you're stuck with that infirmity of the flesh. Was it Paul lacking faith? No, it was, it was the Lord saying, guess what, Paul? I, I, I want you to have the kind of faith that says, even if I have this infirmity, I'm gonna keep serving you. Even Paul, who healed all these people, remember in Timothy, Paul tells Timothy, hey, Timothy, I know you have some stomach issues. Drink a little wine for your stomach's sake. He didn't say, be healed in the name of Jesus. That's not what Paul said. Um, that's what you know, some of these other churches uh, say. But Paul said, eh, just drink a little wine for your stomach, uh, not just be healed. In other words, there's times where people just are not gonna be healed. Well, I, I believe, truthfully, all Christians are healed. The question is by medicine, by a miraculous moment, which we've seen that too, or by dying and going to heaven, that's the ultimate healing. So my mind was racing because I had all these biblical ammo scriptures to, to encourage her and say, your family's off, they don't know their Bible, and there's sometimes the Lord says, you know what, you can have faith, um, tons of great faith, but sometimes the Lord says, my ultimate healing is gonna be to take you home to be with me. I was getting ready to tell her that, and she closed the card and I was getting ready to say it. She said this, she said, Pastor Brett, I have faith that God can take me to heaven tonight. That's what she said. I was like, I don't need to say anything. She gets it. She says, I have faith. Her family said, you don't have enough faith because you have cancer and you're dying and they gave you 24 hours. She said, I have more faith that God can take me to heaven tonight. And I thought, that is powerful. And the Lord took her home to be with the Lord that very night. Um, sad to say, there's people that have this, well, I'll have faith if God does what I ask him to do and, and, uh, and put trips on each other. If, if you have enough faith, then you're gonna be healed. Nope. I think the whole next level of faith is even if, even if I die of cancer, even if I get fired from my job, even if I you know, uh, have a miserable life for the rest of my life, I will not waver. Uh, even if I get thrown in the fiery furnace, even if. See, the even if faith responds to what's happening rather than reacts. That's a true sign of mature even if kind of faith. Number two, even if faith believes and does not backslide. See, that's the reason there's the backsliding and the people leaving faith and leaving church and becoming you know, irreligious is the new you know, hip term. Uh, Portland is one of the most irreligious cities in America. Congratulations, that's the, that's the city we live in. Um, the most irreligious. And wh why is that? It's because, well, God hasn't done this and God has, and why is there suffering on the earth? And why, 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 why? And they're not realizing that you gotta have that faith. Even if there is suffering on the earth, God's still in control. How many times have we heard of someone who once believed, but fell away or walked away from the Lord because things didn't work out the way they thought it should? You gotta remember, God knows all things and we do not. Um, so you got this, even if faith believes, not backslides. Number three, even if faith, even if God doesn't deliver us from the fire furnace, it endures, but does not escape. Um, what do you mean, Brett? Well, I love the story. This is a perfect example of this truth. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they get tied up and they get thrown into the fire furnace as we will see on Wednesday night and their ropes burn off. And we see a pre-incarnate appearance of Jesus with them in the fire furnace. There's Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and a fourth guy. Nebuchadnezzar says, didn't we throw three guys in there? There's four, and that guy looks like the son of God. 
Pretty perceptive, Nebby. But, but what I love about this part of the story, when you get to this, you realize the guys are just kind of walking around in there talking to Jesus. And they don't leave. That, that just cracks me up. You know, if I were thrown in a fire furnace and I'm not burning, I'm like, well, I'm really glad about this, but I'm not gonna push my limits. I, I'm out of here, pure. Like get out of the fiery furnace as fast as you can. But they don't. Did you know that the story tells us that Nebuchadnezzar had to ask them, um, you guys, could you please come out of the fiery furnace? Like he had to ask them, invite them. He's changed his tune. He's no longer raging in fury, but he's like, uh, guys, could you come out just for a minute? Can I have a chat with you? They're like, mm, okay. And they come out of the fiery furnace. Now this is great. They don't even smell like smoke, the Bible says. This is great. But see, what I learned there is sometimes it's in the fiery trial, that's when you're with Jesus the most. I know people like the girl that I just did a funeral for uh, last week, a young athletic, college-level athlete, amazing girl uh, in our fellowship here. And um, she got cancer and it went really pretty fast. I was amazed at how fast cancer just kind of took her health. But um, I cannot tell you how much, um, I, I was so blown away every time I talked to her and go to the hospital, I'd, I'd visit her and she'd, she'd just build my faith up. Here's this young girl who most girls would be saying, why, why me, why at such a young age and stuff. But she said, I know God has a purpose for this cancer. And if I'm supposed to go early and go to heaven, God's got a reason and a purpose. And she even told me, I will, I would not, I'd rather not be healed and do what God's using me to do than to just be healed and go on with life. Like she was this whole nother, even if level faith. So much did it move me. I was trying to encourage some of our young single girls, hey, you know, you should go visit her in the hospital. And I was kind of saying like, she could really use the visit. But what I was really doing is like, these young girls have to see what even if faith looks like on this amazing girl. And uh, everybody that visited her was like amazed and moved. Um, and you know, she wasn't trying to get out of it. She was saying, Lord, what, what you want me to do? It's a little bit like when Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, Lord, if it be possible, let this cup pass for me, the cup of suffering that he was about to drink. But, but instead of saying, give it to me, Lord, he's, Jesus prayed the way we're supposed to pray. Jesus did this to sort of teach us some stuff. He said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And as it turns out, the will of the Father was to have Christ drink the cup of suffering. And that's the way we are to be. Even if faith endures through the trial, the scriptures say what? Don't think it's strange when you find yourself in fiery trials, which are meant to try you, but they're, they're, they're meant to um, build within you an eternal weight in glory in heaven. There's something that's weighty about the person who says, I'm gonna just endure through this fire. And don't think it's people, why me? Why am I going through difficult times? Don't think that's strange, that's normal. What's not normal is you, if you happen to be blessed. Good for you, but that's not normal. You know, we Americans, we think that's normal because we are deliriously blessed here in America, we are. Most of the world lives much more difficultly than you and me. But because of our prosperity, we have one little thing where we stub our toe and suddenly, oh, I don't know if my faith is really secure. But in Afghanistan, the church is flourishing. In Africa, the church is faithful. In, in you know, Honduras, I've been to Honduras where the, the Christians have been through horrible, horrible things. And man, they're as solid as it gets. It's an amazing thing that happens. Even if faith endures, not escapes, 
And then number four, and we're getting ready to wrap it up here, even if faith has a promised future and a present, uh, um, uh, uh, not a present fortune. A promised future, heaven, even if faith, but doesn't promise a present fortune. Just because you're a Christian does not mean you're gonna be blessed and healthy and wealthy and all this stuff now. But even if faith says whatever, even if, even if I'm not blessed today. This is an important notion because um, sometimes you catch yourself thinking, why, why am I even walking with the Lord? What's in it for me? I, I talked to a young guy, he was 23 years old. This is a few years back. But I remember he was 23, and the reason I, the age kind of cracks me up is this is what he was saying, Pastor Brett, I, I'm just really tired. I'm tired of what? Well, man, I've been keeping myself, I, my goal is to, to be a virgin when I get married, and, and why, why should I continue? I've been you know, fighting this for years, and all my friends, they're sleeping around, and everybody's doing this, and they're all getting married, and everything's going great for them. I'm the one guy that's trying to keep myself pure, and man, and there's no girls that are interested in me. Why should I even do it? You know, and he, and he kind of went on the saying, he says, you know, I'm getting old. That's what he said. 23, yeah, that's pretty old. Um, you know, to a guy my age, like, you're, you're, you're just a baby. Uh, um, but, but, you know, it's, it's a funny thing because um, I had to remind him that you're not doing what you're doing uh, for your present pleasure and happiness. And the person that lives for this present pleasure and happiness, they end up with a lifetime of pain. And I guarantee it. And I, I, I don't know his friends who were sleeping around and got married and all that stuff. But I do know this as a guy who's done a thousand weddings and, and have mar- counseled you know, hundreds and hundreds of marriages and stuff. One of the things that plagues a marriage years later is all the sleeping around you did before you got married. It comes back and hits you hard in marriage. The wife wonders what you're thinking in, in your head because you slept with all those other girls and um, does she measure up and the psychology of it. Nobody wants to talk about that uh, you know, with your high school sex ed teacher. But actually, as it turns out, you know, Keeping yourself pure is the long-term smart way of doing things because God tells you to do it that way. Um, but it's, you know, that's, that's a, a real secret of the Christian life. You might have a little moment of pain right now walking with the Lord, but you're gonna have a lifetime and even an eternity of blessing. Or you can have a moment of pleasure, just a few seconds of pleasure now, and have a lifetime of pain. That's the way the world rolls. And I had to remind this guy, man, you do it God's way, long-term, God's gonna bless you. But he, you know, the even if kind of faith, I'm not gonna cave, even if. It has a promised future. God says, I will bless you as you walk with me. Holiness leads to happiness ultimately, but um, not necessarily a present blessing, not now. Even the Bible says there's pleasure in sin for a short season, but the way of sin leads to total sorrow. That's just the truth. So even if faith is the next level, and, and I would wonder, instead of being one of these people that say, well, if God doesn't do this, I don't even know if I believe in God. No, have the faith of some of the greatest people of whom the world was not even worthy, the Bible says, that had that next level where they said, even if I'm not you know, uh, helped, even if I don't get the job, even if you know, I can't pay my bills, even if the, she dumped me, or even if this or that, I'm still gonna walk with the Lord at all costs. That's the next level. That's the Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego level of faith. May the Lord give us ears to hear and not to be the weak-minded church that's in it only as long as God gives us what we want. That's a wrong way of thinking. It's 
sadly flooding the church, this worldview of, well, we'll see if God blesses me now. And if that happens, then I'll follow God. But if not, maybe I'll walk away. That's what's happening in the church today. God forbid. May the Lord give us ears to hear what the Spirit would say. In Jesus' name.